Welcome to the What's What Weekly Wrap-Up. Today's show focuses exclusively on this week's features from the WFUV Newsroom. I'm Christina Lulich. And I'm David Escobar. And here are this week's feature stories. Brooklyn Botanic Garden's new program series is exploring how trees play an important role to people in New York and around the globe especially when it comes to climate change. So I spoke with the exhibit's curatorial team to find out what it's all about. Trees shroud the over 50 acres that comprise Brooklyn Botanic Garden, but many of these mighty giants in the garden don't always get the recognition and protection they deserve. That idea is at the core of the garden's new art and exhibition program, Power of Trees, which showcases the trees at the center of ecosystems around the world. There will be six new outdoor sculptures that includes a metal tree displaying the roots of hip-hop in Brooklyn and a branch-woven shelter for people with sensory issues. They all show how the canopy of a single tree can provide a host of benefits for a community. Art exhibition curator Cecilia Andre says she tasked the artists to create something that's distinct but also tied to the natural surroundings. I wanted them to think in more diverse ways and sure enough the shapes are completely out there you know that you're looking at something that is art and outside the symbology of the art kate Fermoil, the garden's director of interpretation and exhibitions says the power of trees exhibit goes beyond their value to natural ecosystems not only are our trees a part of our lives and really, you know, helping us to survive. But, you know, as we face, you know, the climate crisis, they're really also at the center, you know, of a solution. Besides providing a solution to the challenges of climate change, Fermoil says the stories behind these trees even provide representation for New Yorkers. We have a section of the of the garden that has a um, a conifer collection, and the trees in this one small area are from the west coast of the United States. Some are from Lebanon. Some are from um, you know Peru. And so we kind of imagine that uh, that little area of um, of the exhibition to be sort of the you know, a little microcosm of Brooklyn that, you know, just like Brooklyn, where people are coming from all over the world to to root themselves here in, in the borough. These trees come from all over the world and are rooted here in Brooklyn and thrive and uh, rely on each other, too, for survival. That was my co-host, David Escobar, exploring the Power of Trees exhibit. Power of Trees will be on display at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden through October 22nd. Candidates vying for the 2024 GOP presidential nomination gathered this week to participate in the first Republican presidential debate. Following the action in Milwaukee, I sat down with WFUV political reporter Jay Doherty to recap the action from what will likely be the first of many sparring matches between candidates trying to take on former President Donald Trump. All right, so we obviously have to start with the sort of undertone of this debate. Donald Trump did not make an appearance with his competitors in Milwaukee. So where in the world was the former president? Well, he certainly was not on the debate stage. Instead, the former president opted for a pre-recorded interview with Tucker Carlson. Their interview was released on X, formerly known as Twitter, at the same time the debate was going on. Okay, but isn't Donald Trump the frontrunner on the Republican side? Why wouldn't he want to be part of the debate? I think there are a few reasons. One, we know directly from Trump's social media. Last week, he posted a message saying, quote, 
Reagan didn't do it, and neither did others. People know my record, one of the best ever, so why would I debate? And based on polling data, it could be that Trump assumes none of the other folks on that stage last night even have a shot at winning. His choice to not attend was sort of a mashup of a rules don't apply and quit while you're ahead strategy. Okay, so it's a crowded field. There were a total of nine candidates on stage last night. Who were viewers looking at going into last night's debate? Well, because Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is polling in second against Trump right now, all eyes were on him going into the debate. But surprisingly, for the most popular guy on stage, he kind of faded into the background for most of the night. He wasn't the subject of many attacks, and because of this, he often ended up reiterating phrases from his speeches instead of fully engaging in the fast-paced discussions on stage. Um, On the flip side, though, someone who really took advantage of the back-and-forth was entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy. On stage, DeSantis was sandwiched between Ramaswamy and former Vice President Mike Pence, and the pair sparred with one another while DeSantis was left right left out right in between them, both physically and metaphorically. So I think one could make the argument that Ramaswamy was the closest mirror of Donald Trump on that stage, both in that he was the most far-right on policy, we saw that in his isolationist position on Ukraine and in his outright climate change denial, and in his Trump-like determination to portray himself as an outsider. I'll tell you, I'm not a politician, Brett. You're right about that. I'm an entrepreneur. My parents came to this country with no money 40 years ago. I have gone on to found multi-billion dollar companies. And I do think Brett is going to take an outsider, because for a long time, we have professional politicians in the Republican Party who have been running from something. Now is our moment to start running to something. But Ramaswamy didn't come out of the debate unscathed. One of the more entertaining moments of the evening is when former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie compared Ramaswamy to a chatbot. I've had enough already tonight of a guy who sounds like ChatGPT standing up here. And so the big standout moments for Christie were when he went on the offensive. He was taking jabs at Trump or anyone who seemed like Trump, like Ramaswamy in this case. What were some of the other surprises from this debate, Jay? Well, last night, I think the biggest surprise was that Mike Pence had the most speaking time of anyone on stage. The former vice president used his 13 minutes to solidify himself as a religious, pro-Constitution, Reagan conservative. He was quick to take credit for what he perceives as positive accomplishments of the Trump-Pence administration, but also eager to distance himself from the January 6th riots. For those who know of Pence already, all of that might not come as a shock, but for voters who are still getting to know each candidate, I think it's safe to say that with Trump absent from the stage, each contender had a greater opportunity to pitch themselves to the American people. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley really made the most of that opportunity. She positioned herself as a pro-life advocate who supports U.S. foreign aid for Kyiv during the ongoing war between Russia and Ukraine, and she advocated for urging other countries like China and India to reduce their emissions as part of the global effort to combat climate change. She really tried to sell herself as this conservative pragmatist in the midst of chaos. But one of the most unique and kind of head-scratching moments is when she called out members of her own party for adding to the nation's debt. You have Ron DeSantis, you've got Tim Scott, you've got Mike Pence, they all voted to raise the debt, and Donald Trump added $8 trillion to our debt. Republicans asked for $7.4 billion in earmarks. Democrats asked for $2.8 billion. So you tell me who are the big spenders. I think it's time for an accountant in the White House. Vice President Pence. And this strategy is just one of the examples of how candidates are trying to make a name for themselves in a very crowded race. Okay, so there's obviously a lot of personalities and egos in this group of candidates, but I'm curious outside of that, 
what were the actual issues they discussed? Well, the moderators tackled 10 different topics and tried to get the candidates to actually answer their questions about them. I've already talked about a few, but the candidates debated everything from crime to abortion to UFOs. The candidates also sparred over spending, specifically prioritizing aid for Maui's devastating wildfires. And surprisingly, there was even a debate about whether or not climate change is a hoax, something that the GOP usually steers clear of. All right, Jay, I want you to leave me with your closing thoughts. What were some of your biggest takeaways from this first GOP debate? Yeah, I think the key figure in this debate was the elephant not in the room, Donald Trump. Skipping a debate is usually a frowned upon choice, but strategically, it was wise for Trump to reject the noisy back and forth of the candidates he's all but confident have no shot at winning. Each candidate had a role in showing what the GOP is trying to stand for. On one side, you've got the traditional conservatives like Mike Pence and Nikki Haley, who are into small government and a strong military. On the flip side, we see candidates like Vivek Ramaswamy, who embrace this Trump-style conservatism. Vivek also has a lot of energy, and his policies even lean more to the right. Some candidates like DeSantis repeatedly danced around questions or only gave half answers, but Vivek did the opposite, confidently delivering bold answers every single time, and that, I think, was something that added to his appeal. So in all, the evening may have put Ramaswamy a few points higher just because more people are getting to know him, but for now, Donald Trump still seems like the clear frontrunner. In the grand scheme of things, these candidates are grappling with two main questions, I think. On a smaller scale, they're wondering, how can I stand out from the rest? And on a larger scale, they're forced to ask themselves, what does our own party stand for? The deep divisions make those questions often difficult to answer. There's definitely a lot to digest after that show in Milwaukee. Jay Doherty is our political reporter at WFUV. Jay, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. And that's it from us. But you can check out the What's What weekly wrap-up every week for more features exclusively from the WFUV newsroom. And make sure to check out the WFUV What's What daily podcast every weekday at 3 for the latest local news and feature stories from FUV. And as always, you can find out more at the WFUV news website. I'm Christina Lulich. And I'm David Escobar. And that's What's What.